Hi, this is Emily Detweiler, CEO of KCBS, and you are listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts. From the studios of Baseball and Barbecue on Long Island, New York, this is episode number 146. I'm Jeff Cohen, along with Leonard Hollywood Aberman. Welcome back to our podcast. Leonard, what's going on? Jeff, it's great to see you, to hear you. I could not wait to get back because... You had to split, and I'm bl- I'm saying you, <laughs> you're taking all the blame. Oh, thank you very you much. Had to, you're welcome. You had to split Janice, yeah, I know, of smell of BBQ, smell of barbecue, into two parts with Doug Shiding. Well, that's what happened when you talk too much. Yeah, I have a habit of doing that. I get it, but I'm like, what's what's going to happen? Well, we get to enjoy her twice. Yes, and I'm looking forward to it because you left us on a cliffhanger, Jeff. <laughs> Believe me, that was no cliffhanger. <laughs> but yeah, we are looking forward to it. This is like deja vu all over again. We've got two great guests. Yes. Tell us, who are they, Jeff? We have Pat, and I hope I'm pronouncing this name right, Gagan, from the organization Save the Game. They are an organization, a grassroots organization that wants to put action back into baseball. And they think that, you know, we baseball has become the three outcomes, strikeout, walk, home run. And they're trying to get action back into the game. And they're doing a grassroots ep- effort. And we're going to get back to that in one second. But let me just tell everyone about Bet Online. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource. For all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50. That's B L E A V 50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. And Jeff, you were saying about Save the Game, a great organization with a great purpose. After people hear this, hopefully they'll hear about the petition that needs to be signed. They'll hear about how I nominated you to be on the board. Okay, there's a lot going on in this interview (laughs) with Pat Kagan. 
let's get right to it. Save the Game was launched in January by a pair of former local college baseball standouts, Kevin Gallagher of Pace University and Pat Gagan of Mercy College. The pair joined, is joined by ex-major leaguer Jeff Fry, who hoped to collect one million signatures on a petition urging livelier Pace on the diamond. On the advisory board is former U.S. Congress, Congressman Peter King. The reason we asked Pat to join us on Baseball and Barbecue is we all love the game of baseball. We all seen the changes in the game, and well, the changes over the past decade and a half is not not good. <laughs> they have a campaign called Save the Game. Check it out at the website savethegameus.com. Welcome, Pat. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. Welcome. So, Jeff, Pat, you, Jeff, did you sign the petition? I did sign the petition. Okay. I'm right, one of, on, the, on the way to a million. There you go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, so Pat, tell us, uh, Save the Game, what's it all about? I mean, I, I came across as I read, read an article on Gotham baseball by our friend uh, Mark Healy, and mm-hmm. I noticed that Peter King was involved, and I right. happened to run into Peter King every once in a while at my local 7-Eleven. I heard and I, I saw that the other day, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I check out the <laughs> website, and I'm going, wow, I agree with all this. So tell us, what, what's it all about? So Save the Game started back in 2021. It really, the genesis of Save the Game was Kevin book, my partner, Kevin Gallagher's book, Teacher Hit to Quit, uh, Teacher Kid to Hit So They Don't Quit. So this was a book that Kevin had in, you know, in his DNA for many years. And he finally decided to write it back in the 2019. I believe he published it in 2020. Uh, my college coach, Rick Wolf, uh, wrote the forward to the book. Uh, he wrote that book to teach the average parent on how to teach their kid to hit a baseball because, you know, it's one of the more frustrating things for a kid is to learn how to hit a baseball or a softball if you're if you're a young lady. So he wanted to have an eight-step process to teach, have a parent go out and teach their kid how to hit a baseball. It became somewhat of a, I want to say, a, uh, a, a sensation with, you know, people beyond parents and coaches. It wound up in the hands of the Boston Red Sox, it wound up in the hands of ex-GMs, ex-players, scouts, special assistants to the GM. And when they read the book and what Kevin talked about in the book was what's hurting the game of baseball is the launch angle swing. And he wanted to get back to uh, contact hitting, which is this top hand hitting approach. You know, they said, you know, a lot of the things that he talked about in the book is to what's uh, happening with the game at the major league level and throughout uh, the baseball ecosystem is that this resonated very, very well. We got a lot of feedback. We decided to start this movement based upon the feedback we got. We've been featured in articles by Bob Nightingale and Kevin Kernan from USA and Ball Nine, respectively. So, you know, we're very pleased with the amount of coverage that we're getting, but more importantly, the amount of interest that we're getting because the feedback that we get is keep doing what you're doing guys because you know we need to save the game and you know we want to reverse some of the trends that are going on with youth participation as well too but we'll get into that in a little bit but that's really where the where save the game came from it's a serious topic i want to really get into it but before we do i've got to ask jeff Peter King, what what flavor uh, Slurpee does he get? Is he like, <laughs> does he get, does he mix the flavors? I like to mix them. I don't know if Peter King's a mixer or just one flavor. He's more of a 
coffee guy and uh, and a newspaper. I don't think he <laughs> does newspaper. big on Slurpees. So <laughs> he doesn't like to get brain freeze. No, no. <laughs> All right. So okay, Pat. Fascinating to read about to be to read about this whole thing. At first, when I saw Save the Game. I thought it was going to be all about all the rule changes and, and, yeah. and things that are going on. And, and that's part of it. But it's it's the whole getting the youth uh, or as uh, as they say, my cousin Vinny, the youths uh, involved <laughs> in baseball. And, and I heard some interviews with Billy Blitzer, who's on yeah. your advisory board. I heard him and I heard Jeffrey Jeffrey. On, on a, on a uh, an interview and they mentioned like uh, they were they saw 10 kids outside of a store and not one of them played baseball or so that is an issue that we need to address is how do we get the kids to play the game again and it's something that's come up jeff's brought it up to some people on some of our shows because i i was fascinated to find that the average age of a baseball fan is 57. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a little bit north of that average. And yeah, I mean, what Kevin and I started to talk about when we and we had Jeff join us back in the, the late 2021 timeframe was that, you know, when we move on, our generation moves on, who is going to replace us in terms of, you know, fans. So we look at youth participation. If you take a look at the, the youth participation statistics, They've dropped 26% from 2008 until 2020. And if things keep going, that percentage is only going to increase. And we just see that we are not attracting the young fan or the game is not attracting the young fan like they should. They have many more things to go choose from. They can go watch UFC. They can go watch the NBA or the NFL or lacrosse or soccer, all great sports. But we're not having the kids are not excited about the game. They think the game is boring. And that's, again, to go back to Kevin's book, he was trying to take the mystery out of hitting a baseball to make it more exciting for you know a parent to teach a kid. So we realized, you know, in talking with some of the people in professional baseball that are, you know, have been in the game for a long time, you know, they said to us, you know, in order to save the game, you have to grow the game. Right. So growing the game with the youth is paramount. I mean, Peter King, we talked about this with Peter King and um, he's on our, our board, as you know, and Fred Cambria. And we got to Peter via Fred and Fred I've known for about 15 years. He, he played in the Pirates organization, but they both remember when growing up in in Queens that you could go out and find a baseball game any time of day. You could go to the the schoolyard, you could go to the ball field and you could choose up sides and people would hit between first and second. And you supplied the pitcher and you supplied the catcher while you were at bat. Right. So all these types of things. So excuse but, me, Pat, that's exactly what I did when I was living yeah. in Queens. When I was a kid, we went to the park and we had a pickup game. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly what I, I grew up. I grew up in the Bronx and I, we would go over to, you know, Van Cortland Park across the street. I grew up by Manhattan College and that's exactly what we did. You know, we had 242nd Street would play the kids from 238th Street or the seventh grade kids in visitation where I went to Catholic school would play the eighth grade kids. And that's what we would do. And um, we would self-umpire, we would self-officiate, we would self-regulate the entire game. And, but we grew up one, we grew up loving the game of baseball, right? So even some of the players that uh, kids that I played with didn't become, 
you know, baseball fans through little league and through high school and college, like I did. And Kevin did, but they became baseball fans for life. And that's what we're missing. We're missing. We're not capturing that baseball fan for life at a young age, because that's when they get the fever, right? You know, you may not be, you all think about, you can play in Yankee stadium or city field or wherever your favorite team plays, but you know, the reality of it is most of us are not going to get there, but we still love the game. Right. And that's why we go and fill up the stands when we can. Right. Absolutely. You know, on your website, you list out the five issues, I guess, the importance of what what's changed the game. Uh, I'll just list them out here. MLB has changed the fundamentals of the game. Will MLB be relevant in 15 years? Like you're talking about uh, bringing in uh, you know the, the youth of the game. The youth of right. America is not interested in baseball. MLB competition is action, and but major league problem. Major league baseball knows it's having a problem, but you know they're really not doing much to solve it. I think they're doing things that are. I don't want to say superficial. Superficial is the wrong word, but in term, they're doing things that are. They're gonna. Kevin talks about this all the time. They're trying to take a three and a half hour boring game and boil it down to a three hour boring game. You know, putting a runner on second base in the tenth inning, that is like, that doesn't make sense to me. They want to widen the bases. They want to potentially move the pitcher's mound back. Uh, they want to initiate the pitch clock. Which, if you watch the Yankee Red Sox game the other night when the pitcher came in after uh, Chris Sale broke his pinky. He's taken 35 seconds between pitches. When I got the ball as a pitcher, you know, my father taught me, when you get the ball back, you get ready and you get up there and you fire away. You you get the pitch and you go. What we think has to change is, you know, for Major League Baseball, it's not the three and a half hour game that's exciting. It's that three and a half hour game like the Yankees and Red Sox played the other day where the pace of the game is just egregiously slow i mean i had to I, I couldn't watch it at times right and even don don mattingly has said you know sometimes you know baseball is unwatchable at times because nothing's happening so we really need to bring that back in and that's what we talk about with save the game is that we want really want to bring back the pace of the game as opposed to the length of the game right make more action in the game and if you have action you know for kids to watch it and kids playing it they're definitely going to become fans. So that's that's how we see it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there was a time all you heard about was because kids would play soccer. And for years you heard, oh, soccer is going to become this huge sport because the kids are playing it. I don't know that soccer's ever become, in this country at least, soccer is not, uh, I'm not seeing soccer on the back pages of the newspaper. Obviously, kids playing a sport helps them to watch a sport, but soccer is an example of kids playing a sport that that really don't watch the sport. As far as the I'm, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I think what's happening is if if a team played a different type of game and it wasn't all about the homers. You know, it was about speed and it was about hit and runs and all that. And they won and they won it all, all of a sudden, maybe the other teams would, you know, it's a copycat effect. Maybe other teams would do that. It's hard to see a team. I mean, the Mets this year are a little more like that. They're winning. They're not hitting as many home runs. And they're, they're playing exciting baseball. I'm trying to think of, of, of things 
that will get the kids watching again? Is it they just have other interests? Is that I mean, they have. They, yeah. So you're, you're really fighting for their eyeballs, right? Yeah. And you know, yeah, from, that's from, it. A, from an entertainment perspective, mm-hmm. right? So they can, you know, look, we know that a lot of the youth today, they live online, they live on their phone, or they live on, on their laptop, and they're playing games with friends that live, no, not necessarily in the same town, they have people that they play doom or grand theft order or whatever the games that they play and they could be playing from somebody from california right you know kevin said he was talking with his grandson one day and they were playing some game he says oh where's your where does your friend live and kevin's uh, i think grandson lives up in uh pennsylvania he said well he's in texas so it kind of dawned on us that like okay these kids are not living in that schoolyard picked up game environment that we grew up in they're living online. So in order for, for us to attract them, we have to go to where they are. So we have to go to their devices. We have to go online. You know, Kevin had a conversation with Patrick Wilson, who I believe is the COO of, of Little League. He said, Kevin, love your book. But if you come to me with an app, we definitely want to talk to you. Right. So Kevin and I have talked about that. We have designs on taking his book and creating an app. We also want to create an online teaching vehicle that will actually teach a kid. They can use any smartphone that if you put in the model swing plane to model against, and then the the, the youth goes up and practices their swing against that, it will give you instantaneous feedback and say, okay, this is what you need to do. But take that one step further. We could we can incorporate that into a game. If you watch the show as a, and I saw this down in uh, Charleston, I was visiting my daughter and her boyfriend over the 4th of July weekend. And he brought this video game up the show and it was Shohei Otani and they were playing. It was the Boston Red Sox and the Atlanta Braves and Fenway park. And actually Atlanta was the home team and the Red Sox was the visiting team, but you got to see the pitches. You could take the pitches. You could see what was happening, but if we could inject a child into a game and have them swing against Chris sale, have them swing against Garrett Cole, and you can play them in any ballpark you want to play, and you have your swing and the model swing, it just gets them to be more excited about the game of baseball, right? So not only do we want it to be a teaching vehicle, but we want them to have fun doing it at the same time. And I think that's why kids are attracted to other things, right? If you're playing in a game of soccer, everybody's moving around. In baseball, it's, you know, there's a lot of waiting around at times. So that's why we want to bring it back to action. Yeah. But Pat, is it possible, and I hope this isn't the case, but I'm trying to ask the questions that, you know, people want to know. Is it possible, like with boxing, you know, boxing was, you know, when there was a major fight, everyone watched, you know, everyone knew who Mike Tyson was. Yeah. No. And it didn't have to be heavyweights. Everybody knew who, you know, Leon Spinks was and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and and Hearns and all that, right? They, everybody knew these players, uh, these these boxers. Boxing is not what it was. No, is it possible that baseball, not it's not going to drop off the face of the earth, but it may well be that it's not going to have the same. It's not going to have the same place that it does 
it will still be an important part. There will still be a lot of fans, but it's possible that it it may be, you know, football, basketball. Um, well, Len, this is what they're trying to do to change. I, change, I know change, that. Change exactly. That. I understand that. But what but, I'm saying is it, it it's possible that no matter what is done, could and could maybe not work. I, I just you know what I mean? I, I, I understand how Can, Jeff, you have a son who loves baseball, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he, I got well, I got two sons. One one loves baseball. Well, I'm saying a son. And, and right. he, he's 21 now, but he loved it from when he was a kid. Now, right. let, let me ask you, Pat, with the advent of these analytics, did that really change the way baseball is played and viewed? I mean, you, you tell, tell us, is, is that one of the causes that, that, that why we have a problem? Certainly, I think that analytics, to the extent that everybody just looks at the statistics and they don't look at the actual uh, pace of the game and they don't look at the character that makes up a ball player, et cetera. I think that analytic analytics have gone too far. You know, I think that what has happened is that, you know, they rely so much on these uh, on these statistics that they have gotten away from the to how to really manage a game. If you go back to what uh, Leonard was talking about earlier in the conversation about the Mets, the Mets started out the year as a really exciting team to watch. I mean, they were doing all the, the small things. They were move, They were hitting behind the runner. They were stealing bases. They were, you know, going from first to third on the throw. I mean, they were doing all the things. Yeah, did they have the occasional home run? Absolutely. But were they playing a much more exciting brand of baseball? Absolutely. And, you know, I think Buck Showalter – like statistics, but he's also a really good baseball man. And he, he has them playing smart baseball and he has the pace of the game has really picked up. But I think the over reliance on analytics has hurt the game and we need to get back to how do we get the action back in the game? Because the look, I mean, you have, you have pitchers that come in the game today. They all are pitching like they were Sandy Koufax everybody is averaging 12 strikeouts a game, depending on whether you're a starter or reliever, because the hitters are only so good. They're not they're, they're There's too many players that are using the launch angle swing. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that you don't need the launch angle swing, but what we're saying is not everybody else, the rest of the 90% of the ball players are not going to be launch angle swing guys. Let's bring back the contact into the game and bring back what makes the game exciting again. And that's contact hitting, right? It's just fundamental to making this game, you know, viable. Right. And speaking of contact hitting, but when they do hit on contact, they're hitting into the shift. Now, one one of the rules changes that, that they're contemplating is banning the shift. Now, I I love baseball my whole, my whole life. I would not want to see that. I'd rather see the the batter learn how to hit where they ain't. I mean, that's that's right. Yeah, and I know that's it's not right. as easy as, as as it sounds. I mean, I I play softball. I I keep hitting to the left side. I, whatever. But yeah. you know, these are professionals. They should be able to hit to all fields. They should. I mean, to me, they had a shift for Ted Williams years ago, right? Sure. Yep. He still was, what did he hit? I forget what his career batting average was. What's in the high 300s. Yeah, he right? was pretty so, good. <laughs> I can't remember, but it was something astronomical. But, you know, if you think about that, 
like you said, Jeff, if there's a player up and you have four outfielders and all the infielders are on the right side of the infield, why can't you try and butcher ball the boy to short? Why can't you do that? I mean, to me, that would make sense. I mean, then you don't have to think about the, you know, banning the shift. I mean, to me, that doesn't seem logical. I'd look, if teams want to play the shift, great. But then these players, particularly at that level of advanced hitting, they shouldn't know how to hit the other way. Mm -hmm. Right. And to me, that would make sense. And I think that's what Kevin and I and Jeff have been talking about for quite some time is let's bring that back to the game because, you know, that the art of that part of hitting at that at the major league level has been lost for quite some time. So that's why the shift came into being, in my my opinion. Uh, we just had the home run derby. And I was listening to the MLB network. And I heard them say that if Lou, if uh, Pujols won the derby, it would be great for baseball. And I didn't agree with that. I think it's great for baseball that Soto won. He's a young guy. He's exciting. And I think that one of the things that baseball needs to do, and I've heard this before, this isn't an original thought. They need to promote their young players, their exciting young players like a Soto. Baseball doesn't, I I don't know. I I don't know what else they can do to promote, but you've got Shoei Otani. He's so exciting. I, I love watching him play. You know, I mean, an amazing player. And again, Soto, DeGrom when he's healthy. Maybe it's the, they they need to do more to promote their players. It's interesting because it's not like in football where they're wearing helmets. I mean, you can see the players, you can identify them. Is that something that they can do? And maybe that will get more people. I think that's that's part of what they need to do. There's a statistic out there. If you look at all of the top sports personalities that are identified by the youth, the top 25, there's not one baseball player in the top 25, right? So LeBron James is identifiable. Uh, Stephon Curry is identifiable. Uh, Odell Beckham is identifiable. You know, you have a lot of players that are identifiable, but no one in baseball is identifiable. So there's a there's an identity, I think, an identity crisis to a certain extent that, you know, these young kids, like when we were little, don't have anybody to look up to. They don't have anybody to identify with. So could Major League Baseball be doing a better job of promoting their young talent? Absolutely. And making by having the games be more exciting and more watchable and the pace of the game improve to watch a Juan Soto play, to watch a Gleyber Torres play to watch um, Jacob deGrom. Yeah, we definitely want, we definitely want them to start to identify with these players. So just like we did when we were kids. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I grew up watching Thurman Munson and, you know, catfish Hunter and uh, Frank Robinson and, you know, all of these guys, Juan Marichal. I mean, you watch these guys and you wanted to be like them. So kids today are who, who do watch baseball. They're getting, thrown terms that we've never heard of. I mean, we hear them now, but we never heard them when we were growing up. What the exit velocity, the uh, OPS, on-base plus slugging. Uh, it's all these other terms that they're using. I mean, there's one that really bothers me, the catch probability. I mean, 
you know, when they show that on the screen, I go, there's two possibilities. If he catches it or he doesn't catch it. That's that's the catch probability. Now they have all these stats and he went this far to catch. I mean, do you really care? I mean, do the kids really care? They want to see that the action is actually made instead of, uh, you know, how far he went. I mean, no one's been talking about that. Well, that's the kind of the over-rotation on analytics, right? I mean, what you just described there, Jeff, is kind of that over-rotation where they've now tried to create an analytic for everything. And I get it. I understand it. But does that make it more exciting for a kid to watch the game? To me, uh, like, here, here, here's a here's the like the Nirvana state that I, I tend to think about. You're watching the game, the ESPN Saturday night game of the week. Oh, no, it's a Sunday night game of the week, right? Fox has the Saturday night game of the week. But whoever, you have Joe Buck and you got John Smoltz, right, doing the game on Fox. And Let's say Ozuna comes up and he hits a ball to right field and it's a double in the, in the gap, right? Wouldn't it be great to say, you know, you could say you have John Smoltz break down his swing. Kids, this is what he did well on that. Let me show you how he came through the hitting zone and, and he, he followed the eight-step process on how to make contact with a baseball. And then you have Dansby Swanson come up and he pops one up. Well, here's what he did. Here's the model swing plane, and here's what he did. He dropped his elbow. He he made he didn't use his top hand. So use the use the broadcast as a teaching vehicle. That's what they used to do years ago. They used to talk about that. This is what was happening in the game. I don't mm-hmm. know if they necessarily do that now. They talk more about the analytics, and they're talking. I think they're talking to an analytic crowd. But I I think quite honestly, they're all capable of doing that. If if we gave them the tools to do that those guys could absolutely be that teaching vehicle. And if you think about it, if John Smoltz is saying, this is how Ozuna just did, and Ozuna is a young guy, don't you think that Jeff Cohen, the 10-year-old kid, is going to be watching Marcel Ozuna and John Smoltz just told him what he did on how to hit a baseball? You don't think Jeff Cohen's going to go out there and try and do that tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Of course he is, right? Yeah. So, And that's the attraction that we need to bring back. Is we need to have the broadcast be, be a teaching vehicle as well, right? It's just not about analytics. And, and you just made a, a great point, which I was going to bring up later, but since you mentioned the broadcast, uh, you, you mentioned Fox and ESPN. The other day I was looking – the Met game was on. I was looking for it. It wasn't on SNY. I checked MLB. I went to ESPN. I went to Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports, TNT, TBS. I couldn't find the game. It was on local station WPIX. Eventually, I found it. But <laughs> you used to watch all the games on PIX. No, right? Yeah, I, I know. And you know, yeah. it's, it's trying to find a game these days is is difficult. Yeah, I mean, and now you have other. You know, now you have you know streaming. You have right. Apple TV is showing you know games on Friday nights, uh, two games a night, and you have the Yankees you know, are on Prime. Yeah, games too. So. I understand why they're doing that, but you need to be able to make it accessible for people, right? I get why they're doing it, but you need, to your point, it needs to be easier to find where the game is being broadcast, right? They're also, with the kids, the tickets. I remember as a kid, you could earn tickets Either you could save milk carton labels or you can get good grades in school or you could. And and there were ways to earn tickets. Also, as a kid, there was the show, the the, the baseball bunch or uh, what was that show, Jeff, with the uh, San Diego chicken that was on uh, 
uh, with Johnny Bench and and all that. I think it was Baseball Bunch. Yeah, those were things. I will say, though, the one thing I think that is good for the future of baseball, and this is where people that are um, the more teams in the playoffs is better for the game because at least a fan of a team whether it's in a Pittsburgh or a different city maybe has a chance of making the playoffs with with an expanded playoff format but they need to play more games during times when kids can actually be awake to see a whole game not to have to go to sleep after the third inning they need to make games earlier is, is another thing. If kids can't watch the games with their father or their mother or whoever that is watching it, they're, they're not going to want to see the game or play. I, I don't know how old you guys are, but I remember running home from school in October to watch the World Series as a day game. Yeah. That's yeah. what I did. I ran home to watch right. the World yeah. Series. I remember it was... I think it was the 70. I remember the 69 World Series with the Mets and the Orioles. And I remember running home to watch the the World Series that year. And then, you know, every year after that, that's exactly what I would do. And then they started making them night games, I think, in the mid to late 70s. They became much more of a nighttime because they wanted prime time. But, you know, I remember I was a kid. I, I could not. I could not stay up past eight o'clock because I had to get up and go to school the next day, you know? So like Monday night football, my, I wasn't allowed to stay up to watch Monday night football because it started at nine o'clock. You know, I remember when I was, you know, a teenager and in my early twenties going to the games at Yankee stadium, the game night game started at eight o'clock. That was sure. late. Yeah. Huh? Now, now they start at seven. Mm-hmm. Six thirty-five is a really good time. They do some of those, yeah. But I think we need to make it more accessible. To your point, uh, Leonard, we need to make it more accessible to the youth. As far as tickets are concerned, Kevin had a great idea. I mean, you talk about. I remember you used to be able to cut out the Dairy Lee coupons on the on the bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. You save. You got ten of those, and you can get a ticket, mm-hmm. or or your ticket cost a mm-hmm. dollar, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Right. You know, Kevin says, "Hey, why don't we start to." Let kids in for free, you know, have a parent bring in, you know, kids under 12 during the week, you know, have parent pay for their ticket. The kids get in for free, you know, let them buy a hot dog and a soda. What Ooh. a wonderful thing to do and get them into yeah. a day game. Right. Remember, remember, you used to be able to go on the field after the game. I yeah. remember Yankee Stadium you used to be able to walk out mm-hmm. on the field when you exited the game. The Shea Stadium used to do the same thing years ago. Right. So I, I just got an idea. We're talking about, you know, the parent can bring the kid for free. They could walk out on the field. What if there's an incentive to bring your child? You bring your child to the game and you get a a T-shirt. You bring your child to the game and you can walk out on the field. But you have to have your child with you. It's not that your child, you bring your child, you get a discounted ticket. Yeah. Because they're free or something, you now the the parent. It's an incentive. They they have to bring their child. Right. <laughs> I don't know Not exactly only- how to work that, but but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you know. There's, I mean, if you go to games now, there's a giveaway just about every home game you go to these days. Somebody is sponsoring some giveaway. But to your point, Leonard, is that you really want to get the kids there 
during the day, during the week, in the summertime, have them come, let them come experience the game, let them come in and see batting practice, let them go down after the game and walk out onto the field. To me, I remember that as a kid walking into Yankee Stadium for the first time. It was like a cavern to me. It was so huge. And you used to be able to walk down. You used to be able to go down to the railing and ask for their autograph. You can't do that anymore. You just They just keep you away from doing that. And I think that's where you know they're missing out on that. It's that connectedness that a young kid had with a ball player, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, yes. that that is now lost because they just don't allow that to happen anymore. And yeah. that's a sad part of, I mean, we all grew up like that. Right. But that's right. a sad thing that, you know, if they could bring that back, that, I mean, think about it, that, that, that would be Nirvana to some seven or eight year old kid sure. to see Aaron judge up close like that mm-hmm. or Glaber Torres or Aaron Hicks or Brandon Nimmo or any of the Met players. Right. So Francisco Lindor, same thing. Baseball has almost created a catch 22 because when you say to anyone, well, they need to start the games earlier or they need to do this. And they say, well, but the revenue is from the advertising and it needs to be in prime time and it needs to be later at night. It needs this. Okay. And the players of course want these huge salaries and they're not going to get them if the teams aren't generating all this money. But if they're losing fans, they're not going to be able to keep this up. So it's a catch-22. What do you do? Are you going to work on getting more fans, but perhaps not generating as much revenue, and then the players aren't going to get the money or whatever, or lose fans, and you're going to lose some of it, and and you're going to lose revenue anyway? What do you do? I, I want to come back to something you said earlier in the conversation, which was, you know, the decline. I can't remember exactly what you were saying, but you were talking about what is going to happen. You talked about boxing, right? And how boxing was, you know, a premier uh, entertainment event, right? Years ago, right? And how that has, is not the case today. And could that happen for baseball? And that's one of the things that we're, we are deathly afraid of that baseball will become a tertiary sport here in the next 10 or 15 years, but let's go to what you just talked about, about advertising and all that. Think about it this way. If you don't have the Jeff or the Leonard 10 year old today, or your sisters who are a year younger than you or older than you, and you don't become fans of baseball, what are you going to be doing when you become an adult of age and have an income and you can go attend games? What are you going to do with your entertainment dollars? Where are you going to go spend those entertainment dollars? Are you going to go spend them on football, basketball, baseball, hockey? Where are you going to spend your dollar? Now, think about that. Now, think about where the advertising money is going to be. Are they going to pay up for that person that is watching football, basketball, and hockey? Where the, Where is the baseball fan? If So it has this, has this compounding effect. Right. If you don't, if we don't reverse some of these trends in 10 or 15 years, the advertising money is going to be moved to other sports. It's going to then start to impact the entire ecosystem of baseball. It, it's kind of like the, the old Fabergé commercial and so on and so on and so on. It mm-hmm. just has this multiplying effect. Right. Yeah. 
it's all interconnected, right? All of these issues that we were trying to address with Save the Game, they're very basic, but they're all interconnected. And um, that's and a important. lot of what we're talking about tonight. Very yeah. important. Pat, okay. can I, I would just like to recommend somebody for your board. All right, you have Billy Blitzer on your board, on your advisory board. You have Peter King. But Baseball and Barbecue is dedicated to two of our favorite subjects. And I cannot tell you how in love with this game Jeff Cohen is. And I'm just going to say right now, and and I love him like a brother, okay? And I can't think of anyone who's better for the board than Jeff Cohen. I'm just saying. All right. I would like to nominate him for your board. That's all. I don't know how you get on your board, but... We will certainly take that under advisement. <laughs> obviously, obviously, Jeff is the baseball guy and you're the barbecue guy. Well, you no, that, you know, that's how we always get pegged. And that's not true. Jeff is definitely as a baseball savant. <laughs> yeah. I, I love both. OK, I can't tell you, you know, what uniform number so and so wore and all that. But I love the game. But Jeff is definitely yes, Jeff is more. That's why I recommend him for the board. So we will, I will definitely talk about it with Kevin and some of the other. other I mean, he may. I'm, I'm right. Absolutely. I, we appreciate it. Look, I mean, you know, we, we want people that have, um, you know, the ability to get the message out there. You gentlemen certainly have the ability to get the message on. So, you know, I think you guys have some great ideas. You had some very thoughtful questions, but um, so you talk about uniform numbers, right? So Jeff, who was your favorite team growing up as a kid? Mets. <laughs> Mets. Okay. All right. We're going to go back to like the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. I'm going to give you, you you're going to get all these. Cleon Jones. 21. Tommy Agee. 20. Kuzman. 36. Nolan Ryan. 30. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Am I? T- yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Jeff. Right. Swoboda. He was four. Right. Yeah. Uh, Crane Pool. He was seven. And a guest on our show. Yes. Yeah. And Tom Seaver, obviously. The great Tom Seaver. Yes. I, I tell you what, Pat, you know, and with I know we're running out of time here and, and thank you for your time. Another no, thing to bring the, the other thing that, to get kids involved in a game. And when Len was saying, bring your kid to a game, show them how to keep score. There's an yeah. art to that, yeah. you know? I don't even think parents know how to keep score, actually, though, Jeff. I mean, you can I, find I really, them online now, but there's nothing yeah. like sitting down, keeping score, have your own type of shorthand, teaching it to your kid. I mean, you know, that that brings not only bring it brings togetherness to the father son, father daughter relationship. Uh, you know, you you guys know who Doris Kearns Goodwin is, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So I remember watching the, the, the Ken Burns documentary baseball. And she talked about her father and how she used to listen to the games and, you know, she would keep the box score and then tell her dad would be at work and then tell her dad how, what happened in the game. Right. So that's how she became such a baseball fan. It's like six, seven years old, right. When the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn. So, yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be great that, you know, if again, to go back to, you know, Sunday night baseball, if uh, David Cohn is sitting there with, 
the broadcast and says, hey, kids, this is how you keep this score. And this is how you write that, you know, that type of teaching. Just to tell hey, kids, talk to the kid, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying they have to do that, but make it appealing to the kid. You make it appealing to the kid, you get them interested. And they say, hey, he's talking to me, Mm -hmm. right? So anyway. The teams need to send the players more to the schools, maybe. I don't know what they do there. Um, but, But if a player comes to the school, this whole time, I, I feel like I've just I, I'm just trying to think of ways. And by the way, Pat, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, with with Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's okay. probably like, I don't want more responsibility. <laughs> but, <laughs> I just I just put it out there. But uh, I, I think what you guys are doing is 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 incredible. I'm not ending this. I just want you to know that I think uh, baseball is a great game. Uh, obviously we love it. I mean, <laughs> we, don't, we have a, you know, baseball and barbecue. Uh, obviously we love the game. We want to align with major league baseball. We're not here to pick a fight with them. We, we believe oh, yeah. that some of the ideas that we have, we are working on some de- ideas to share with major league baseball at the right time. But certainly, you know, we do believe that they are trying and we want to, we want to help. Right. So, and help is a good four letter word, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Play. So I think, again, we, we want to align with them. I think there's more, this is a one plus one equals three conversation. Some of their ideas, some of our de- ideas, you know, if you combine those two ideas, you could get a, th- you know, it could equal three, right? So we're, we're looking to get a force multiplier here so that we can, you know, have a, a much more broad impact on the game of baseball. Is MLB aware of of your uh, campaign here? I believe they are. Okay, yes. good, good. Yeah. The uh, the website is savethegameus.com. Go there, read about it, sign the yeah. petition. Yeah, uh, great, Jeff. That was going to be my my closing pitch. Yeah, if you could ask your <laughs> you know listeners to uh, go to savethegameus.com, there's a link in there to sign the petition. Uh, we would be very grateful for your support. And I will definitely, Leonard, take Jeff's name and I will propose <laughs> it to Kevin and the rest of the, the members to talk about Jeff joining the board. <laughs> and I, got I mean, you, I got you may have to do a background but check. But only and, if you send me some barbecue, Leonard. You, I mean, <laughs> you may have to waiting. do a background check on Jeff. Yeah. That might, yeah. I don't know what, you know, what that might bring up. But <laughs> Pat, I also want you to know, as we we're talking uh, tonight, I also tweeted that on, on, on our Twitter account. So hopefully that'll get some traction as well. No, thank you, Jeff. That's much appreciated. Thank you very much, Pat. Again, save the game, us.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time tonight. Have a great evening. Thank, thank you. you. We really appreciate it. And we want to thank Pat Gigan for joining us. The organization is Save the Game. And Len, if I get on the board, I need you to be my agent. <laughs> Absolutely. At, at- Jeff, I, I will be your agent. Yes, because I, I nominated you and but you haven't heard back from them, have you? Not yet. I guess I'm waiting for the podcast to come out. By the way, that website is savethegameus.com. Right. Well, got to sign the petition, save yep. the game. And also, I think they're doing a whole background check on you. So I think you're clean, but you never know the, the skeletons in that closet. So everybody has skeletons absolutely so anyway we have had a very busy week 
we were actually interviewed for a podcast. Yes, we were. Wow. It was kind of a, yeah, it was the tables, the tables turned. We were actually on the Barbecue Happy Hour podcast with Messy Mike and Big Dan. You can't go on it if you don't have a nickname. <laughs> right. You're Hollywood and I'm the OC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they were great. We had a great time with them. Thinking it'll be released sometime soon, but those guys are very busy. Big Dan runs his restaurant. Messy Mike runs his food truck. And so who knows? But we had a lot of fun with them, even if it never airs, <laughs> which <laughs> they may be having second thoughts. It still was a lot of fun getting to know those guys. And of course, Messy Mike was a guest on our show episode. I, I think, why do I want to say 126? Yes, 126. Yeah, they, they were a lot of fun. And I want everybody to remind everybody to give us a call at 516-855-8214. Comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Tweet us. Use the Twitter. The Twitterverse. Tweet, tweet. Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. If you want to email us, our email is BaseballandBBQ at gmail.com. And our website is www.BaseballandBBQ.com. .weebly.com. And please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. <laughs> rate, review, and subscribe. And Jeff, we'll just quickly remind everyone to go to baseballbbq.com for some incredible grilling tools and accessories. If you listen to this show, maybe this is your first time listening, but they have incredible grilling tools and accessories with baseball bat handles. And then, of course, Ray Sheehan, barbecuebuddha.com. Wow, the, the sauces, the rubs, the cookbooks. You cannot go wrong if you're looking for gifts for yourself, if you're looking for gifts for someone else. You know, you want to you want to make your life easier with your rubs and sauces for for grilling. Ray's stuff is top of the line, mm -hmm. top notch. And of course, baseballbbq.com, top notch. So both of them great. Jeff, let's get right to part two, because I can't wait any longer with Janice Smella and Doug Scheiding. Janice, I, I saw something while, while doing research, because you mentioned a borrowed cooker, and I saw something about a burnt brisket. Could you, could you enlighten us with your burnt brisket story, which turns out quite well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Same contest, I went to Niagara Falls. So I went on a lark, I wanted to prove. So I've been cooking with my husband for a number of years, probably five or six years. Um, and I got the, I, I felt that I could confidently cook a contest by myself. But anything that is in driving distance, we cook together. And so I thought, you know what? There's a contest in Niagara Falls. They're looking for teams. I'm gonna. I'm going to prove to myself that I can do it. I'm going to borrow some equipment. And I, my whole goal there was to cook independently, get the four meats in. I'd never cooked on the drums before, um, before a contest at least. And uh, <laughs> I was looking up YouTube videos of, um, I had a gateway drum smoker already, but I was looking up YouTube videos of Tim Shear and his trimming methodology and how to cook a brisket on a drum. 
And what I didn't realize was like, because your uh, charcoal is straight underneath your brisket, you really need to turn your brisket or flip it over just to, you don't get any hot spots on your brisket because you're cooking hot and fast. So even though the dial says 300 degrees, I think you're cooking more at 350 degrees. And so, you know, I did what I saw on YouTube and my brisket literally was burnt on the bottom. And so I had, I had a little bit of a fat layer on the bottom, but I didn't know that it was burnt until I took it out of the packaging when I went to box it. And it was so burnt that it was hard. So I cut off the bottom and my whole cutting board had all these like black flakes all over the cutting board. And Doug would know like appearance is one of the scores that you're gonna get from the judges. And so I was horrified. I had black flakes all over the cutting board and I was wiping the, cu the cutting board as at the same time I'm making my slices of the flat and picking little pieces off. Um, and the guy that I borrowed equipment from, uh, he had already turned in and so he's like watching me and laughing. And I gave him a slice of brisket and I'm still wiping the cutting board and picking off these little flakes. And he's like, it's really good. And I was like, that's nice. <laughs> I was like, not, <laughs> I was not impressed. <laughs> so I finished boxing and I put my, I sent in um, my brisket box and that's the last turn in for the meats and my accomplishment was done I was super happy I put in all four meats I did a contest by myself and it was like there was a heat wave there um, and Calgary doesn't get any humidity so I don't know um, I don't know what humidity is but it was really hot um, and it was like 70 or 80 percent humidity so it was not a comfortable moment. And so when they did awards, I was sitting in the shade way in the back, um, not really paying attention because I was done. So they called the awards and I got a call for chicken and I got a call for ribs and I got a call for pork and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. And then I stopped listening because I burnt my brisket. That's what I was thinking. And sure enough, I win brisket and I win the contest overall. <laughs> but I wasn't, I really wasn't paying attention. So I wasn't like, usually in your head, you kind of have a count of like where people are and where you're going to land. But because I wasn't expecting to win brisket for sure, <laughs> or the contest, it was, uh, it was quite comical. And then the follow up to that story is that the, uh, the trophies were enormous. They were like big, giant bowling trophies. And I'm not your typical, I probably don't have the typical stature of someone in barbecue or who you expect. I'm Asian, I'm five feet tall, no inches. <laughs> the trophy came up to my chin. <laughs> so it was a fun day. Well, I know I've seen you. Uh, I've seen you at Bozeman, Montana, at the Pitmaster a couple of times, and you know, I I, know, I think last time we saw each other, you had your own equipment in the U.S. waiting across the border, and so I know you don't always borrow equipment. How many places do you have 
extra equipment that you know where you fly to and you have you know uh, equipment there waiting on your equipment waiting on you oh well <laughs> that's <laughs> now i have to confess the crazy part of me right that's what you're okay, going yeah yes exactly <laughs> this show well, is all about some way or another yes we okay. confess on this show at least i do <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so as I said, I usually cook with my husband. We have like a, a vintage Airstream trailer that we cook out of and we've converted to cooking on gateway drum smokers. Love them. They're great. It's something I can move because I told you I'm not big and tall. And um, what we used to cook on was a pit maker vault, which was a thousand pounds and pretty hard to arm wrestle out of a truck. So um, after cooking in Niagara Falls, I started to get excited. I was like, hey, I can do this more often. And my husband was just like, oh my gosh, she's crazy. I don't want to be all over the country um, cooking in these weird locations. And I had cooked in Seattle um, a couple years ago and it was fun and I borrowed equipment, but the cold wind um, and the rain was not great to be cooking outside. And so I said, you know, if I was going to cook by myself, it's really hard to know the weather conditions of the contest. I really want to be able to control that. And if everybody else is cooking out of a trailer, I want to cook out of something that has walls as well. So uh, on a drive back, we uh, he said, well, what if you got a van? And so the next thing I know, we bought a uh, an old plumbing van. It's like a high top, you know, it's a high top Nissan 2500, but it's like a, a Ford Dash or whatnot. And we gutted the inside, moved some things around, and I can keep the smokers in there. And I also have a table in there um, and just the basic necessities of what I need. And so we, the plan was to park it in various um, spots along the Pacific Northwest and I would fly in and out of the various cities and basically line up the van to be at the next contest or close to the next contest. So basically uh, what we did was we flew or we drove it out to Seattle and then I drove it to Portland for the next contest which was in uh, Redmond not too far from Portland and I flew home and then I would fly back, you know, do a contest and move it to the next city, which I think was going to actually be back in Canada um, in uh, Chilliwack, BC. But COVID happened. And so after the contest in Seattle, the van got stranded in Portland. Um, the contest got canceled like two days before it was supposed to run. And at the time, like, there wasn't any limitations in Canada, but you weren't traveling to the U.S. for fun. So we left it there and it ended up being, it ended up sitting in Portland for 18 months before I could oh, come wow. rescue it. Wow. wow. And so <laughs> the border was not open to drive. I could not drive into the U.S., but I could fly. So there was like some funny loophole. So I could fly into... Portland and then because I'm a Canadian citizen they actually had to let me back in that was became the plan so as soon as the like I realized I had the opportunity to go get the van 
I lined it up with the barbecue contest, of course. And we, um, my daughter and I, we flew into Portland, drove it to Montana, saw Doug, did a contest, had a great time, and then drove home and crossed the border and brought it back home. So uh, I don't have that many places where I'm hiding. Okay. Okay. I thought maybe like Darren Worth and had, you know, uh, <laughs> jambos stored throughout the U.S. So. <laughs> I'll have to win a few more contests, I think, first. <laughs> 18 months and it was untouched? I mean, it was still, wasn't, uh, everything was as you left it? Yeah, it was great. Um, I was really worried that it would be really moldy inside just because it's so much more humid in Portland, but it was great. Um, turns out that Russell, my husband, had a distant cousin who lives in Portland, so he moved it to his property instead of sitting at the airport parking. Uh, but uh, it was fantastic. It was airport parking would have cost a bit of a thick bundle. <laughs> my God. And you just turn it into him. Yeah. <laughs> it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine what it would have cost? Yeah, you're right. 18 months, airport parking. I, I mean, I don't know about Portland, but here... <laughs> New York area airports? Oh, forget. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be worth more than the band itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Janice, you, another thing that you have on your, uh, on your website is barbecue. You, you have this. It says, barbecue and cooking make my weekends. If I'm not cooking, then it must not be the weekend. That's Where do true. elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I said I like to cook. Um, and so I definitely made time for it when, especially during COVID. And so, but we have days like I, I, barbecue does not pay for <laughs> my life. I have a day job, mm. unfortunately or fortunately. Um, and actually, maybe it's more fortunate because it pays for my expensive hobby. Uh, we have days where, <laughs> on the weekdays especially, we have bend for yourself days. So my kids are very used to not having meals cooked by mom because it's, it is a weekend or it's not a weekend. So in many cases on the weekends, we're prepping for a contest or we're like, we're or we're unpacking from a contest. And so, you know, I'll look up and it'll be three o'clock in the afternoon and I haven't fed the kids anything yet. And so they know to fend for themselves, but that's starting to happen over the weekdays as well. So I try to make sure that on the weekends, those are cooking days. Those are days that I can definitely devote to barbecue and other cooking adventures. How old are your kids? They are 11 and 13. So, so let me ask you this: When you're not in a competition and you're in your home barbecuing, do you cook anything unique? And also, do you have like a specialty that you like to cook? I, I think things have changed. I would say after COVID, after doing supper challenge for two years, I've really tried to make sure anything I cook is challenges me or is interesting. Um, I live by a Korean grocery store um, in my neighborhood and 
my favorite thing to do is like to wander into the store and pick up a package and think, what is this? And take it home and make something of it. So I'll go to the internet to be inspired or I'll go to the internet to like see what, you know, what something traditional is. But generally I'll try to make something up. The funny part is I feel like, um, like I'm, I'm a home cook for sure. Um, but uh, I like to try recipes where I like to think I like to try recipes, but I'm terrible at following recipes. <laughs> so, so I kind of just go with the version of like, I'll try something, but I'll adjust the recipe in my head as I go along. And then most times it works out. Sometimes I have some disasters. So, so nothing specific, but it's always an adventure in my house. But my poor daughter is like not always impressed because like the days that I come home, I came home with a pig snout and pig tongue and I think it was a lamb heart. She was not so happy that day. <laughs> Most kids just want to eat chicken nuggets. Yeah. And French fries. <laughs> oh my God. Mom, what's for dinner? Oh, we're going to have a lamb's heart. Oh, goody. <laughs> With a side of snout. always wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're inviting their friends over. Come over to my house for dinner. We're having pig snout. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man. Well, does that go along with kind of the bush cooking? I know you develop recipes and things like that for bush cooking. Can you tell me kind of what that is about? Yeah. So Saffron um, is a friend of mine. She's a fantastic cook. Um, oh, I and know Saffron. Yeah. So she asked me um, a couple of years ago if I would share some recipes with her on her website. And we both have this love for outdoor cooking. So. I really push myself, like, I get, I think there's, there's definitely a place for chicken and ribs and steak and burgers on Wednesdays, <laughs> but I think that, uh, I don't know, like, I, I obviously like the adventure of what cooking could be or should be, and so from that part, I, um, I push myself a little bit. At that point, I wasn't really cooking <laughs> you know pig snout and that kind of thing yet but um it gave me an opportunity to really start thinking outside of my comfort level and so um and it was great because I do think I have even though I'm a home cook I'm quite studious and or I think you and I are Doug are quite scientific about the way we cook we want to know why something happens and what happens you know, if you inject tallow or if you smear it all around the top or, right. you know, what happens to meat when you um, do things to it. So I love the science aspect. And so I think that makes some of the recipes I have more thoughtful. Um, I'm not, you know, they're tested by me. I'm not sure how qualified that is, but I would also say that I'm like pretty stringent on like when I look at a recipe, I feel like I question the science behind it because sometimes you can look at a recipe. Anyone can post a recipe online, but um, you know, if you get ribs that are cooked one hour, I don't know, they might be a little bit tight. They're probably not going to be my liking. That's for sure. Yes. 
You, you know, you talk about the science of cooking, so um, it made me think of uh, beer can chicken because I, you know, there's there's uh, there's different views on whether beer can chicken actually the beer really does something. Okay, so we have two scientific cooks, and uh, Doug, I thought you were a baseball expert. I didn't even know you cooked, but uh, I, I guess. <laughs> But I guess you do dabble. Um, so Janice and Doug, and we'll start with Janice. Uh, what are your thoughts on beer can chicken? Beer can chicken is great. It gives everybody an excuse to have a beer. That's really what everyone wants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> does, does the beer do anything to the chicken? I would say not really, but there's definitely like the essence of beer that would be cooked onto the surface of the chicken, but once you slather some sauce on it, I question it, but everyone gets excited when you say I made beer cat chicken. So for that purpose alone, I think like it's, it has its place in the, in the backyard market. Exactly. Doug? Yeah, I, I would say I'm not a huge beer can chicken fan because I think it's a waste of a good beer that you could have had <laughs> but if you got the throne like with the little motorcycle you know and you put the chicken on the little motorcycle on the throne that has the airflow that it can flow up in the inside I think you're good for a good presentation gotcha. but you know what Doug I don't know if you know this but Canadian beer and American beer they have different yeah. alcohol contents yes exactly yes so American beer probably doesn't have as the same flavor content, we'll say, as what a Canadian beer would have. No, that's probably true. That's probably true. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming Canadian beer is a lot stronger. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that. Yeah. And so, Jack, have you been to, you've been to the American uh, Royal World Series of Barbecue, the Jack Daniels, the Houston Livestock. Uh, tell us your, your experiences there at, at the, the World Series of Barbecue and, and the Jack Daniels. It's phenomenal. Um, I'm not. <laughs> it's phenomenal, but I'm not going to either one this year. Um, you know what? It's really neat to have a meeting of the barbecue minds to go to especially like i said the canadian barbecue circuit um, and community is quite small it's great because it's tight um, everyone knows each other it's very welcoming um, we can't wait to meet new people on the circuit but i would also say you go down to the u.s and to cook at the american royal where there's like upwards of 400 to 600 teams is like jaw dropping just to think that there's that many teams in one spot um cooking it's it's definitely an experience the one thing that i did learn um i've cooked the royal a couple times and it's so hot <laughs> like the temperatures of um cooking in the u.s that's when i realized like i'm really a, i'm a winter cook i know what to do when it's really cold <laughs> We run our cambros differently, like our our, um, our our insulated coolers, um, a little bit differently in Canada than we would in the U.S. Um, 
when I was watching a whole bunch of YouTube videos when we were getting into uh, the competition circuit, people said you had to vent your cambros so that any excess heat could escape. Well, if you do that in Canada, you're basically going to, your meat could seize because it's so cold sometimes if you get a gust of wind, um, the tenderness that you have on your in your meat will go away because it will basically get the the muscle fibers of the meat to to tighten up. So, um, anyways, it's a neat congregation of all sorts of people of all walks of people that just love barbecue. And so, there's a lot of fangirling, I would say, because you're, you know, I saw Tuffy Stone and he was walking, you know. along the way should I bug him for a picture (laughs) but it's also a great experience because like I would say that barbecue people in general are super personable that's how I met Doug he happened to be cooking in Bozeman Montana and that happened to be the year that we got invited to the Houston rodeo for Um, the first time for the first time yes for the first time yeah it was phenomenal and we've kept in touch since I know it's, it's been great. great. It's been great. So yeah, the Houston Rodeo. You didn't say about the Houston Rodeo. And are you coming this this following year? Are you coming next year to the Houston Rodeo? I think I am. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have a chat with Brian, but I think we were going to be invited again, and and I'm coming to San Antonio Rodeo too. Oh, you are. I was. Are you going to do the same and spend this whole whole month down here? <laughs> well. I don't know if that will fly anymore <laughs> in COVID when we're working from home, I that was okay, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. probably okay. have to fly home this time okay. in between. Okay. Doug, okay. Doug, you got some competition, Doug. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, Janice kicked <laughs> yeah. butt at both of them, at the San Antonio and the, and the Houston. So, uh, yeah, she did great this, this year. So, and I know, I know my wife loves, uh, to have dessert discussions with you so when you were saying i thought your favorite thing to cook was going to be dessert because uh, you always seem to be working on a dessert re- a new dessert recipe like when you came to my house and you brought uh, if i can say is it the key lime cheesecake or something wild that you were working on yeah or the houston rodeo i think <laughs> yep i i okay so i think i like cooking dessert the most okay but my hips don't like it as much as my brain does (laughs) or as much as my belly does. So I have to, you know, fill it with something different. Otherwise (laughs) I'll just eat dessert all the time. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, one of your uh, specialties, the, uh, of the peanut roll with caramelized bananas. <laughs> That's another recipe on my website. It was okay. You know what actually does super well is the banana bread French toast with the peanut cream and bacon bits. Uh, that one. I think is... I just gained five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> right? See? <laughs> wow. That's actually, you know, the funny part my daughter's 13th birthday was uh, a couple weeks ago. And that was the favorite amongst all of her friends. They slept over, and that was requested breakfast by all of the girls. And I thought it was funny because, you know, you mentioned <laughs> what the kids don't really want to invite their friends over for 
for goat heart, <laughs> but banana bread, okay. <laughs> Janice, um, you know, it's funny because you mentioned uh, Tuffy Stone and, and, you know, these pitmasters, but my first uh, recollection of watching barbecue on TV is actually a Canadian chef, and that's Rob Rainford. And he had he had a show called License to Grill. Rob Rainford, and, and I'll never forget he had that was the first time I saw he, he was using two grills. <laughs> and I was a I, I you know I was very young at the time, and I thought wow that's so cool he he was using two grills and that was such a big concept I'm like wow you don't have to fit everything on one but he was incredible and um have, have and I'm guessing that maybe you haven't heard of him because uh you have not I have not I apologize <laughs> I will. Him. Rob Rainford license to grill and I don't know you know what happened to him but it was a good show it was a good cooking show that's like, great yeah, and there's eat. so many great cooks out there. That's the best part is like the sharing aspect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. But he was Canadian. I mean, and that was, uh, so, you know, you guys have, you know, we, we have Tuffy Stone, but you have Rob Rainford and, and of course, Janice Smella. So. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is Doug a good sharer? Doug is excellent in sharing. <laughs> Thank you. In fact, I'm so good. She has a chicken video that she's been holding hostage that I want from her of that first time in Bozeman. It, so it that video is so good that the size is so large that there's no platform that will download it off my phone. I've been trying for the past, I don't know, four years. Oh, five gosh. Years. Okay. <laughs> I think the no, phone is aging out truthfully. No problem. So so yeah, let's let's end on the beginning. How did you kind of get into cooking and was it you or Russell or it sounds like it was you that actually started getting into the the barbecue cooking? It was Russell. So oh, it was. It was okay. Russell. So we've always deemed ourselves foodies. So uh, when my, bo- my daughter was first born, maternity leave in Canada is awesome. It's a year. One year yeah. paid leave. One year paid? Yes. Wow. It's not like any, you're not going to get rich on what you're paid, but you should be able to pay, you know, your grocery bill. But it is a paid leave. And so we drove down to California and then from California, uh, during maternity leave, we made our way to Texas, and I found Texas Texas Monthly, the magazine that, um, and this was the first year they raided all of the barbecue joints in Texas. I thought, this is amazing. And I don't know that I had real barbecue before, so I made it my mission. I was gonna try all of the top five. And then, unfortunately, we, uh, both got a stomach bug, and after Texas, we already had a plan to move um, or to drive to New Orleans, and then we were going to make it home after that. So it was like the barbecue trip that never happened. So a couple years later, um, 
I had my son and my parents said, we want to give you some time alone. You're young parents. You should do something fun. You should have some time to yourselves. So Russell and I flew to Houston and we made that barbecue trek around central Texas and we ate ourselves silly. We ate at all five of the places that were listed from however many years ago and we ate ourselves silly and then realized that we could not have barbecue again like not in the city of Calgary there was no barbecue joints in Calgary definitely not serving that caliber of food and so on our way out we happened to go to various pit making or pit mass or pit makers including pit maker in Houston and we ended up buying the the vault that I mentioned that's a thousand pounds um and the size of a large refrigerator and uh and that's sort of like we we got inspired we wanted to eat and when I you know we ordered it and I looked at Russell I'm like how are we going to run this thing? Like, what do we know about cooking barbecue? It was great. It was a bit of a spontaneous purchase, I guess. But like, we ate all this great barbecue and then we bought this pit that like nobody else in Canada has. Nobody knows how to run. What are we going to do with this big steel box? And uh, at that time, Barbecue Pitmasters was one of the TV shows that was on and YouTube was a thing. And so, Everybody at that time that was running a pit maker vault was in, on the competition circuit. So Russell said, we should enter a contest because Calgary has a barbecue contest that happens every year at Labor Day. And I don't know if you can make the association between not knowing how to cook on a pit whatsoever to let's enter a contest where we have to cook four meats and we've never seen a full pack of brisket before, let alone cooked one. See, that's not usually like the normal course of action, but trial by fire, we figured it out. So, and we got hooked. We did really well in our first competition. It was in Edmonton at the first Porcapalooza contest. Oh, Porcapalooza, yeah. Yeah. You'll laugh. We, um... We didn't know how to run the pit. We ran, it was so, the pit was so hot that we cooked with the door open. (laughs) (laughs) And our brisket was so overcooked that we sent in a box with pulled brisket. (laughs) Pulled brisket strands. Probably a little dry. Oh, probably. I'll have to show you a picture. I kept it. I, I have a picture of it. Okay, it does not be... look like brisket. Okay. But it was uh, it was entertaining. But the funny part is that I think we got a call in the top five for the brisket. So we figured out, like, we figured something out. So it was really, like, Russell's um, interest to begin with. And then... I don't know. I guess I'm more hungry than he is, and I always want to perfect things. The scientific part of me wanted to make things better, so <laughs> I got my elbows in there and I started messing around. I had a feeling that was how it was. That's awesome. <laughs> From those humble beginnings to three-time national Canadian barbecue team of the year, Janice Smeller, 
anything you want to promote? Anything you want to uh, talk about before we uh, let you go and uh, for this evening? I just want people to share in barbecue. There is so much, you know, like the competition circuit's one thing, but you know, COVID's over. We can share in food. We can share recipes, and you know, um, I would say like the barbecue community is super uh, amazing in terms of being, you know. We love barbecue and we love sharing food. So um, if you, you know, are interested in some weird and wacky recipes, you can go to my website at smellacue.com. But, uh, and or if you want to share your experiences, maybe that's even better. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Janice. This has been a very fun hour. Learned a lot of amazing things. And, yeah. you know, we, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us. Thank you so much, Janice. We appreciate it. Thanks thank for you. having me. Absolutely. And thanks for saying yes. Before we knew you were a fire master uh, and TV star. So, uh, that, is, that is awesome. TV celebrity, TV star, fire master. That's right. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings podcast. And if you like barbecue you like baseball then you have to listen to baseball and bbq with jeff and lynn they always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue all in one little package so check it out baseball and bbq with lynn and jeff okay guys take it away thank you very much janice Thank you, Doug. And you know what, Jeff? I'm actually glad you split it into two parts because it gave me something to look forward to. Is there a third part? No, not yet. We should remind everyone that the show is brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. But this game is not starting. This game is ending. Yeah. Yeah. So as we end, we thank our guests. We thank Pat Gagan from save the game we ask everyone to go sign the petition and and also you know if you sign the petition we get enough signatures who knows maybe jeff does get on the board there you go right jeff right. you're gonna save the game you're gonna help save the game absolutely okay and then thank you to janice smella doug shiding jeff thank you thank you len Thank you to the poet, Shel Kakovsky, the musician, Dave Dresser, for this beautiful song that we love to conclude with. It is Baseball Always Brings You Home. Goodbye, everyone. See you on episode 147.